You're watching the community MMA. In the women's strawweight division at UFC 287, your first fight of the night. Check this out. You got a new UFC fighter making her debut. Jacqueline Amor, Brazilian, comes in at 6-0 and and finishes everybody. Taking on Sam Hughes, who comes in at 7-5. and Now, Sam Hughes is two inches taller, 5'5". She's about three years older, but neither of them have hit their prime yet. Amorim uh, has a four-inch reach advantage, 68 to 64. Now, what we know about Sam Hughes is that she fights right-handed. She lands about four significant strikes per minute, and she averages a takedown over the course of three rounds. Now, back to uh, Jacqueline Amorim, right? Six fights, six finishes, five by submission, one by KO. And as I look through the submissions, she had an arm bar in her first fight and last fight. Other than that, she's won by knee bar, rear naked, arm triangle. So she's very well versed in the grappling department and in control. But she did beat Megan Owen by KO. The last four fights that she's fought at LFA 101, 110, 125, and 142. So she is getting some solid experience. But Sam Hughes is no slouch. 47% takedown defense could be a problem, and she lost to Pierre Rodriguez in her last fight, but she did KO Elise Reed. She beat Estela Nunez by majority decision and lost to another fighter on this card in Luana Pinedo by decision. Overall, she's 2-4 and four in the UFC. So these are always tricky, and a lot of times I lean with the veteran, but not this time. A Morham uh, is going to be an exciting fighter to watch. She's one that's going to be on the rise I expect her to crack the top five of the women's strawweight division within the next two years, and she's likely to win this fight. Uh, I don't know if she'll get the finish, but she'll grind out the victory because she'll probably be a little nervous, especially on the you know big stage in Miami. But I look for her to win this fight at minimum by decision to remain undefeated and move to 7-0, 1-0 in the UFC. Women's strawweight division, UFC 287. In the featherweight division at UFC 287, you got Shyalan now we're in the beak taking on Steve Garcia. Shyalan, 39 and 10. A lot of wins, but a lot of losses too. Garcia comes in at 13 and 5. And when you look at Shyalan, you'd say, okay, he's got 49 professional fights. He must be like 40, right? No, in fact, he's only 28 years old. It's wild. Steve Garcia, four inches taller at six feet. He's 30 compared to the 28 uh, Shyalan, so both guys not even really at their prime just yet. Garcia has a 6-inch reach advantage, 75-69. to 69. He fights left-handed. Shyalan fights right-handed. In terms of activity, that goes to Steve Garcia, about 5.2 significant strikes per minute to 2.2 for Shyalan, which means the takedown game is going to be important for him. He lands about 3 Takedowns over the course of three rounds. That could be equated to one takedown every round. Steve Garcia's landed takedowns at about half the rate. But Shyalan only has a 40% takedown defense. Actually, that could be trouble. When you look at his last three fights, he's been pretty dominant. Beating Derek Minner by KO in the first round. Beating TJ Brown by decision on three takedowns. Also led in significant strikes. He beat Sean Soriano. With four takedowns to get a unanimous decision. Now he did lose to Josh Kulabayo in his first UFC fight. But that's been just about two years ago. 
uh, in May. So just under two years when he steps in the octagon was his uh, first loss in the UFC, but he's perfect since then. Now, Steve Garcia, a.k.a. Mean Machine, 100% takedown defense, which may slide the takedown game back into his favor. When you see guys that get a lot of takedowns, they eventually pair him up against a fighter who doesn't give up any takedowns. So that's what you're trying to decide here. He beat Chase Hooper by KO. That's pretty wild. He lost to Mahashate by KO. He beat Charlie Antavaros by KO. Lost to Luis Pena and beat Desmond Torres. So both of these guys are all over the place. But here's the deal. I mean, now the beak is going to be around for a while. When it's all said and done, this guy might have 75, 80 professional fights. He's only 28 years old and he's fighting his 50, 50th professional MMA fight. We haven't seen this. So I'm not going against Shyalom because he's won three in a row. Yeah, he lost to Kulabaya in his first fight, but he's won three in a row. He's learning how to get finishes. He's learning how to go to a decision and win the third round. And although Steve Garcia is really good, I still favor Shyalon now in the beak to win this fight, likely by decision. He's got to grind it out, though. I don't know how he's going to do it. That's why I have a tough time with his prediction. I'm not sure how he's going to do it because he's got to get some takedowns. Steve Garcia, 100% takedown defense. He's not going to outstrike Steve Garcia. So the takedown game is very important. And he's going to have to break the takedown defense of Steve Garcia with continual attacks. But he's that good at the takedowns, and I think he'll get the job done to move to 40 and 10, likely by decision, featherweight division, UFC 287. In a catchweight fight at UFC 287, you got Ignacio Bahamandes taking on Trey Ogden. Both guys used to win in Bahamandes 13 and 4, Ogden 16 and 5. Now let's get to it. Bahamandes 6-3 compared to 5-11, Trey Ogden. He's also about eight years younger than Ogden. So keep that in mind. He's got a four-inch reach advantage. Both guys fight right-handed. Now, Ignacio uh, has a lot of activity. He lands about 8.3 significant strikes per minute to 3.7 for Trey Ogden. Ogden's good for like one takedown over the course of three rounds. But Ignacio has a 95% takedown defense. So good luck with that. He's coming off back-to-back wins over Rong Zhu by submission. And Roosevelt Roberts by KO. He did lose to John McDessey, however, by split decision in a high-level, high-activity fight that was 124 to 112 in significant strikes in favor of McDessey. No takedowns in that one. So that's where the 8.3 significant strikes per minute is mainly coming from. Now, on the other end, I get 100% takedown defense. So this is good news for us. This should be a great stand-up uh striking a fair high level now Trey Ogden lost to, or beat Daniel Zellhuber by unanimous decision he landed 71 significant strikes had one takedown but he did lose to Jordan Levitt who we know is a pretty good fighter by split decision so here's the deal this is going to be a, a close fight it'll be interesting to see how uh, the catchweight factors into this fight meaning they don't really have to worry about squeezing down to their normal weight. They'll have a few extra pounds. And I think all this favors Ignacio Bahamandes. I mean, the guy is a high-level striker. Ogden will try to shoot for takedowns, but he's got to be aware, I'm sure, that Ignacio doesn't give up takedowns very easily. But if Trey Ogden can't get some takedowns and slow the pace of a 
Bahamondes and this fight's going to be over. And that's what I think happens. I mean, Ignacio, 100% takedown defense. I'm not saying it'll continue to be, or that it'll continue to be 100%, actually 95%, meaning he stops 19 out of 20. You know, he may not be able to keep up those numbers forever, but he will keep it up in this fight. He'll keep the fight standing. He'll outstrike Trey, uh, Trey Ogden and will either win by KO or dominate decision to move to 14 and 4, in my opinion. You're in a catchweight fight at UFC 287. In the women's strawweight division at UFC 287, you got Cynthia Calvillo coming in at 9 and 5, taking on Lupe Godine as he comes in at 8 and 3. Calvillo, you know, was looking really good when she was about 8 and 1, 9 and 1, somewhere along those lines, and has struggled lately. Godinez, not a bad fighter, finds ways to win so far in the UFC. So let's break this down as both need a victory. Calvillo's two inches taller at 5'4". She's about six years older than Godinez. That's always important. She's got a three-inch reach advantage. Both ladies fight right-handed. Calvillo is more active with 4.2 significant strikes per minute compared to three for Godinez. But the takedown game, which both have a little bit of a takedown game, Calvillo about two takedowns over the course of three rounds. Godinez much more at nearly five takedowns over the course of three rounds. So the first important stat is takedown defense. Cynthia Calvillo, 75%. So that'll slow down Loopy in this one a little bit, but she's coming off a lot of losses against Nina Nunez, Andrea Lee, Jessica Andrade, and Caitlin Chugagan. So she's kind of hit the wall since she was 9-1, losing four straight. But Godinez is a notch below those four fighters we just named. She has an 81% takedown defense, lost to Angela Hill in her last fight, but beat Ariane Carnalosi and Luma Lubumi before that. So the thing is here, and Lupi is a favorite, uh, is the favorite in this fight, but Cynthia Calvillo is not a bad fighter. She was 9 at 1, 9 at 1 at one point. Uh, she had the big win over Jessica I when Jessica I, I believe, was number one or number two in the division. It jumped her way up, right? from like 13 to one. And then she ran into some stiff competition and started to lose, but she'll get back in the win column. I think she wins this one likely by uh, decision. She's going to dominate this fight though, to move to 10 and five. She's going to do it with takedown defense, keep the fight standing where she has a major advantage and nearly, well, 4.2 significant strikes per minute. So look for her to outpace Godinez by like 15 or 20 significant strikes. Luby may have one takedown win around, but Cynthia Calvillo uh, will win the fight. She'll be 10 and 5, in my opinion. Women's strawweight division, UFC 287. In the heavyweight division of UFC 287, you got a new opponent in Carl Williams coming in 8 and 1, now taking on Chase Sherman, who comes in at 16 and 11. But don't let those 11 losses fool you in this one. He's one inch taller than Carl Williams. They're both 33 years old. Carl Williams has a one inch reach advantage, no big deal. Both guys stand. Right-handed. So here's where the differences begin. Sherman is more active, landing over six significant strikes per minute to Williams, two per minute. So Williams isn't very active at all, but where he is active is takedowns. He lands about six over the course of three rounds, or it can be equated to two per round. Shea Sherman is a striker who better have good takedown defense. Carl Williams, 100% takedown defense. Chase Sherman, 66 percent takedown defense so it's good about average i should say but 
not great and probably not good enough to stop these takedowns. In Carl Williams' first two fights, he landed 11 takedowns, eight against Brzezki and three uh, uh, against Jimmy Lawson at Dana White's Contender Series. So another Contender Series alum, Sherman, uh, lost his last fight to Waldo Cortez Acosta. He beat Jared Vanderay, as he should, by KO and lost to Alexander Romanov, Jay Collier, and Parker Porter. So this is going to be a really easy one for me. Uh, I do like the fact that Chase Sherman is active, but the bottom line is Carl Williams is just better. Coming out of the Contender Series, a lot to prove. We haven't seen him lose yet on the big stage, and he's had 11 takedowns in two fights, so I don't see any reason that's going to stop here, especially uh, against Chase Sherman. Carl Williams wins, likely by submission, maybe a little ground and pound, maybe a TKO, but either way, Carl Williams is going to move to 9-1 and one in this one in dominating fashion here in the heavyweight division at UFC 287. In the middleweight division at UFC 287, you got Gerald Mearshart coming in, the longtime veteran, 35 and 15, taking on Joe Pfeiffer, who comes in at 10 and 2. So, got a lot of an ex- a lot of experience versus not so much experience for Joe Pfeiffer, but he's got a, a you know big hype behind his name right now coming into this fight, and he's the favorite. That's pretty wild. Joe Pfeiffer, one inch taller at 6'2". Of course, he's much younger than Gerald Mearshart, nine years younger. When you look at the reach, that favors Mearshart, 78 to 75, so three-inch reach advantage. Mearshart fights lefty, so keep that in mind. Joe Pfeiffer stands right-handed. When you look at uh, significant strikes per minute, both guys kind of slow pace because they're looking to land takedowns too, so uh, Pfeiffer leads in that area barely. 3.5 significant strikes per minute to just about three per minute for Mearshart. Both guys over two takedowns per fight or over the course of three rounds. So they're both likely to get two takedowns each or expect this fight to go to the ground at some point uh, should it go three rounds. Now Mearshart, 29% takedown defense. That's going to be a problem for sure. That's stunning that it's only 29%. Now he's coming off the win against Bruno Silva uh, by guillotine. Submission, he lost to Jocko, Christoph Jocko by decision. He beat Dustin Stoltzfus, who beat Joe Pfeiffer. Beat him by uh, submission. And Mahmoud Muradov by submission. So, And again, you go back to the Hamza fight, Hamza Chemaev, right? He's won four of his last five fights since then, only losing a decision against Christoph Jocko. Now, Joe Pfeiffer, as I told you, lost to Dustin Stoltzfus. By first round KO, but he's come back and won the last two against Ozzy Diaz and Alan Amadovsky, uh, both by KO. So, you know, a lot of hype behind his name, but the, the bottom line is, and it's crazy that Mearshart is the underdog, right? But in a common opponent, Mearshart finished him, Joe Pfeiffer got finished. So, and I like the fact that Mearshart's standing left-handed. I like the fact that Mearshart is strong. He's going to shoot in for takedowns. I just think the experience here uh, for Mearshart is going to shine. I think he wins his fight by submission or by decision to move to 36 and 15, in my opinion. Um, he's going to limit Pfeiffer on those significant strikes and, and land some takedowns. So look for him to control this fight to get the win. Pfeiffer falls to 10 and 3, middleweight division, UFC 287. In the women's strawweight division at UFC 287, you got Michelle 
Waterson Gomez coming in at 18 and 10, taking on Luana Pinedo, who comes in at 10 and 1. And this is going to be a tough prediction. Gomez stands one inch taller, 5'3". Uh, she's about seven years older, right? She's 37, Pinedo 30. Both have the same reach. Both fight right-handed. Um, when it comes to significant strikes per minute, that favors Pinedo, who lands about four and a half uh, per minute uh, compared to 3.6 significant strikes per minute for Gomez. Now, the takedown game also leans toward Pinedo. She's had seven takedowns in the last two fights. Uh, Gomez lands about one takedown every other round. So Luana Pinedo's got the advantage in that department. Now, Michelle Watterson Gomez was dominant when she first entered the UFC. She won four in a row, then lost two, then won three. But since then, she's lost four of the last five against some very good fighters. You know, she's getting to the top and facing good fighters, losing to Amanda Limos, Marina Rodriguez, Carla Esparza, current champion, former champion, uh, Ioana Yadrachek. So, you know, she's lost against some tough competition, which again is why this prediction will be tough. Now, Pinedo, on the other hand, uh, starting out much like Michelle Waterson did. She won three in a row. Her last fight, she beat Sam Hughes on two takedowns, beat Ronda Marcos, landing five takedowns uh, in a fight in which Marcos was disqualified, but she was getting dominated up until that point. So Pinedo looking strong so far. She is a slight favorite, but I'm just concerned because I think a lot of people were doubt, doubting Gomez. I mean, yeah, she's lost four to the last five, but it's against high-level competition. And we don't really know how good Luana Pinedo is uh, just yet. However, uh, I do think she's going to sneak out a victory in this fight. But there's going to be a point in this fight, almost like when Hamza fought Gilbert Burns, where you had a round there where it didn't look good for Hamza. I think that's what's going to happen here. There's going to be a round that doesn't look good for Luana Pinedo. But she's going to come on strong in the third round and get the victory because she'll go back to the control game and look to get a takedown on Gomez and control her, control her, or pin her up against the fence. Something along these lines uh, will help her win the third round and she'll win the fight in a very close fight by decision, in my opinion. So Pinedo, uh, who will outstrike Gomez, especially in the final round, and will lead in control time, control time should win this fight. To move to 11 and 1. Gomez uh, will fall to 16, excuse me, 18 and 11. Women's strawweight division, UFC 287. In the middleweight division at UFC 287, you got Kelvin Gastel. And finally, we get to see this guy fight this year. He's 17 and 8, taking on Chris Curtis, who comes in at 30 and 9. So this is going to be a toss up fight because both fighters, very good. Uh, and pretty much even in the odds for entertainment purposes only. Curtis, one inch taller at 5'10". He's got a 76-inch reach compared to 71 for Kelvin Gasolum. He fights right-handed. Gasolum fights left-handed. Now, Chris Curtis is much more active, landing about 5.8 significant strikes per minute to about 3.5 for Kelvin Gasolum. So he's landing uh, well over two more significant strikes per minute, or 30, over the course of the fight. Now, the takedown game goes to Kelvin Gastelum, but he only lands like one takedown over the course of three rounds. So when you look at the stats, I mean, you got to go with Chris Curtis. But for some reason, uh, a lot of people 
like Kelvin Gastelum in this one. So we better dig a little bit deeper. Gastelum, 62% takedown defense. Now he struggled lately losing to Jared Cannonier and Robert Whitaker, two of the best fighters uh, in the division, clearly. Uh, however, he did beat Ian Heinish. Before that, he lost to Jack Hermanson. So he's lost three of the last four and just struggling. Now the action man, a.k.a. Chris Curtis, 100% takedown defense. That's an important stat. He's coming off the win over Yaquin Buckley by KO. He also lost to uh, Jack Hermanson, trailed 100 to 43 in significant strikes. In that one, Jack Hermanson beat Gaslam uh, in just about a minute in that fight. Now, Curtis also beat Rodolfo Vieira and Brendan Allen. So he's won three of the last four. So Curtis has a little bit of momentum coming into this fight. Gaslam, on the other hand, has been struggling, but against some really good fighters. So we got to keep that in mind. And to me, that's why this fight is even. Yeah, Kelvin Gaslam is struggling. Yes, Chris Curtis uh, has some momentum, but the competition isn't nearly the same. With that being said, I still believe Chris Curtis comes in here and gets the win. Now, rounds one and round two will probably be split. It will come down to round three. I think Chris Curtis will uh, continue to do a good job in round three for sure of defending the takedowns. He may give up one uh, in rounds one and two or the round that he'll lose because Kelvin Gaston will take him down and control him, but he'll make it through. In round three, in my opinion, is when Chris Curtis takes over. That's where that significant strike advantage of two to one uh, will start to take uh well, we'll start to see that take over in round three. And to me, Chris Curtis just pulls away in this one to get a unanimous decision uh, victory, in my opinion, to move to 31-9, and nine, middleweight division, UFC 287. In the bantamweight division at UFC 287, you got Raul Rosas Jr., the 18-year-old, 7-0, and oh, taking on Christian Rodriguez, who comes in at 8-1, and one, and not a bad fighter in his own right. Now let's get right to it because Rosas Jr. is two inches taller at 5'9", but he's given up about five inches in reach, and that's going to be normal in a lot of his fights. He's a switch stance fighter. Rodriguez stands right-handed. So far, after just a few fights, uh, Rosas Jr. only lands about 1.3 significant strikes per minute compared to about 3.3 per minute from Rodriguez, but that's because he lands takedowns, landing over one takedown per round and usually once he gets a takedown his opponent's not getting up Rodriguez not much to speak for in that department and one of the biggest stats here is the takedown defense for Rodriguez just 56 percent so you know he's going to struggle to stop the takedowns from Rosas uh, who hasn't even had to defend a takedown himself up until this point now he's coming over always uh, oh, one seven in a row because that's his record right but in his last fight he beat Jay Perrin in his UFC debut. It took about two minutes and 44 seconds for him to get the submission. He held Jay Perrin to just four significant strikes. He had two takedowns, two submission attempts. He finally got the victory about midway through the round. Prior to that, at Dana White's Contender Series, he won that fight by unanimous decision, beating Mondo Gutierrez. He had three takedowns and limited him to 12 significant strikes. So these takedowns, allow him to limit his opponent to almost no significant strikes throughout the fight. So when you look at an opponent's significant strikes per minute, and you say, hey, this guy's going to outstrike Rosas. No, because Rosas is going to take him down. He's going to control him, uh, and he's either going to get the submission or he's going to dominate in control time and get the win 
uh, by decision. So that's just the way it goes. And Rosas Jr. is going to continue rolling here because Christian Rodriguez takedown defense uh, is around 50%. So that's not very good. So Rosas Jr. should dominate here and move to 8-0 here in the Bantamweight division, in my opinion, at UFC 287. In the welterweight division at UFC 287, you got Kevin Holland taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Two great fighters. Holland 23 and 9. Those losses piling up though. Ponzinibbio an incredible 30 and 6. Now Kevin Holland is three inches taller at 6'3. He's got about an eight-inch reach advantage. This is common for him. Both guys stand right-handed. He lands about four significant strikes per minute compared to about five per minute for Ponzinibbio. Uh, both guys not really uh, a threat to a lot of takedowns in the fight, but can land one here and there uh, in different fights, but they're not going to land multiple uh, takedowns in any fight. Now, what could change that is Kevin Holland has a 50% takedown defense, so keep an eye on that. He lost to Steven Thompson in his last fight by KO. Before that, he lost to Hamza Chamaya by submission. That was quick. He did beat Tim Means and Alex Cowboy Oliveira, but struggling as of late. Something to keep an eye on. Now, Ponzinibbio is coming off the win over Alex Morono. Third round KO. He lost to uh, Mikel Pereira and Jeff Neal, both by split decision, and beat Miguel Beza prior to that. He also lost to Lee Jingliang by KO. He beat Neil Magny, Mike Perry, Gunnar Nelson. So it, it's confusing with Ponzinibbio. On one level, he has 30 wins and only six losses. So he's beating most guys on the planet, but then he's losing uh, some fights that he shouldn't lose. Like he's losing to Jeff Neal, but beating Neil Magny. So that's where things get confusing. And to me, that means which one will show up. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough fight for Kevin Holland because of the strength of Ponzinibbio. But here's the deal. Kevin Holland needs a win bad. You know, you, you go down here and you lose three in a row. People are going to start calling you into question and you change divisions. You're supposed to be better in this division than in middleweight. So there's nowhere else to go but here. You're not going down to lightweight. This is it for Kevin Holland. And I, I think he's going to show up. He's got his back against the wall and this guy finds a way to win. Because everything else is telling me that Ponzinibbio's got a good shot to win. But I just believe Kevin Holland in his heart and when guys have their back against the wall, they show up big. So in my opinion, Kevin Holland wins this thing, likely uh, by a decision in a three-round battle to move to 24-9 and nine here in the welterweight division at UFC 287. In the bantamweight division at UFC 287, you got Rob Font, 19-6, and six, taking on Adrian Yanez, who comes in at 16-3. and three. And needless to say, this is a high-level bantamweight fight. It just seems like... The Bantamweight division just keeps producing big-time fights. Now, Rob Font, one inch taller at 5'8". He's got a two-inch reach advantage. Both guys stand right-handed. And this is the best part. Both guys well over six significant strikes per minute. Uh, Rob Font gets a takedown every three rounds. Adrian Yanez, not so much. But you got two high-level strikers going at it here. Now, Rob Font uh, lost to Marlon Vera. By decision in his last fight, he did beat or he lost to Jose Aldo as well. Excuse me, so he's lost back to back fights, but he did beat Cody Garbrandt and he did beat Marlon uh, Moraes. So he's two and two in his last four. If you go back six fights, he went on a four fight win streak at one point before losing 
to Aldo and Vera. So, you know, the guy is a well-respected fighter, very good. But Adrian Yanez is surging. This guy's got 100% takedown defense, so he can keep the fight standing where he lands 6.6 significant strikes per minute. So he can do this to almost every opponent on the planet. He won his last several fights, right? Beating, well, he's 6-0 in the UFC, beating Tony Kelly, Davey Grant, Randy Costa, Gustavo Lopez, Victor Rodriguez, and Brady Huang. So this guy is on a tremendous roll. Uh, and it's a difficult prediction because Rob Font beats everyone that he's supposed to. And, you know, how good is Adrian Yanez? Well, you're going to find out in this fight that he's very good. And although Rob Fawn is a good fighter, Adrian Yanez is on the come up. This guy's won six in a row, at least in the UFC. He's undefeated. And he's getting his best competition yet. But I don't see any reason to believe that he doesn't keep on rolling here. I mean, the, the guy's just a high-level striker and can defend the takedowns. And in the Bantamweight division, that's a lot of times the key to victory, much like the lightweight division. There's going to be some scrambles. There's going to be... A lot of striking, maybe a finish by submission or KO, but it's just high level. And Adrian Yanez seems to have all the pieces to the puzzle. So in my opinion, he wins this thing by decision in a very close fight. He'll have to win round three. But in doing so, he'll move to 17-3, and Bantamweight division, UFC 287. In the welterweight division, UFC 287. And this is a big one. Gilbert Burns takes on... Jorge Masvidal, who finally returns. Now, Burns, a Brazilian, 21-5. and five. Masvidal, the American, 35-16. and 16. Both of these guys, veterans of the game. Now, Jorge Masvidal, one inch taller at 5'11". He's got a three-inch reach advantage, 74-71. to 71. Both guys fight right-handed. Now, Masvidal, 4.1 significant strikes per minute to 3.4 for Gilbert. Burns take down advantage the other way though to Gilbert Burns two over the course of three rounds you're looking at potentially uh, two or three takedowns in this fight if he can get Masvidal down Masvidal lands about a takedown and a half every three rounds or one every two rounds so that's what we got Burns weak takedown defense 47 percent but in his last fight he dropped Neil Magny with a submission quickly uh, but he's just on a one not even on a win streak, just won the last fight against Magny. Lost to Hamza Chemaev in a questionable decision among a lot of fans, not myself, but a, among a lot of fans. And then he beat Stephen Thompson before that. So he could very easily be on a three-fight win streak. And although he did give up two takedowns to Hamza uh, Chemaev, he still outstruck him 119 to 108. Now Masvidal, not getting any younger, right? Uh, 38 right now, turns 39 uh, in November, that's something to keep in mind. He's lost three in a row to Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, and Kamaru Usman. So really, he's lost two in a row to uh, the two best fighters in the welterweight division by ranking. So before that, he beat Nate Diaz, probably should, Ben Askren with that flying knee. And he was at his height at that moment and has kind of been humbled since. Uh, and prior to that, he beat Darren Till. By KO. So three and three in his last six. I don't think it has any indication on this fight. And gosh, this is a tough prediction. I can't wait to see the odds come out as we make this prediction now. There's no odds on this fight just yet. It's brand new, but at least in front of me and what I'm looking at, 
but I'm going to lean with Gilbert Burns in this fight as much as I would like to see Jorge Masvidal come in and get a big win. Imagine the storylines that he could call out Hamza Chamayev. He can call out Leon Edwards for the title. And if you, you don't think that Jorge Masvidal can still get another title shot, if Leon Edwards wins and Jorge Masvidal wins, I hate to tell y'all Hamza fans, Jorge Masvidal is getting a title shot. That's just the way it goes. But I like Gilbert Burns to win this fight by decision to move to 22-5 and five, simply on uh, significant strikes and takedowns because with the control, he's going to pile up the strikes to go to 22-5, and five, welterweight division, UFC 287. In the middleweight division at UFC 287 for the middleweight division title, we got another rematch here between Alex Pereira, 7-1, and one, the Brazilian taking on the Nigerian former champ. Israel Adesanya, he's 23-2. and two. Both guys, 6-4. Adesanya's got a one-inch reach advantage, pretty much even. He's a switch dance fighter. Pereira, we know, stands right-handed. Now, more activity from Pereira. 5.2 significant strikes per minute to about four per minute for Israel Adesanya. So that's, you know, over the course of 25 minutes, that's 25 significant strikes, which is why Adesanya has got to pick up the pace in his fight. Takedowns. Forget about it from either fighter. They're trying to stand and strike, which is why it's a tough matchup for Adesanya. Both guys got great takedown defense, 73% Pereira, 77% Adesanya. Now, in the last fight before the finish, Adesanya was, had a pretty good lead, like 10 or 15 in significant strikes going into round five. And then Pereira turned it on and got the finish 201 into uh, two minutes and one seconds into the fifth round. Now, before that, Adesanya was ridiculous. Major winning streak if you look past the uh, Jan Blahovich loss for the UFC light heavyweight title at the time. I mean, he was beating everyone. Sean Strickland, uh, excuse me, uh, Jared Cannonier, Robert Whitaker, Marvin Vittori, right? He lost to Blahovich before that. He beat Paulo Costa, Yoel Romero. But he hasn't had a finish since uh, September 26, 2020. And I'm thinking he's either got to get the finish here or he's just got to have a ridiculous pace shooting for 150 to 200 significant strikes and just continue to work and not be worried about running out of gas. He's got to be in great shape and he's got to just frustrate Pereira, who is a real slow paced fighter, even though he's got five significant strikes per minute, kind of lulls you in. But you got to have activity and not let him be comfortable in his shoes. And if Adesanya does that, I think he takes a belt back. And that's what, exactly what I think is going to happen. That's my prediction. A little bit of delayed on this one because I had to really think about it. A lot of times we do it on the fly, and we we are now, but I really believe Adesanya is going to go in there and find a way. I mean, he's he's a specialist in this area. Tough matchup with Pereira, the fact that he beat him three times now, but that won't matter in this one. Adesanya wins, likely by decision to move to 24-2 and two and get the belt back, and then we all got to hope there isn't another rematch. But that's the way it goes down here in the middleweight division at UFC. 287.